the Ultimita. You know the business. It's now time for the Main Event Sports Show with your host, Haven Harrington, Rashawn Myers, and Carl Kellum. You can follow the Main Event Sports Show on Twitter at MeSports. Like our Facebook page at Main Event Sports Radio. And follow us online at MainEventSportsRadio101.com. You can also listen to episodes of the Main Event Sports Show on Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Main Event Sports Show. And now it's time for the Main Event. Inside the state of Kentucky, the biggest sports weekend of the year is really your Kentucky Derby. But mm-hmm. with that said, you know, I'm excited about the Super Bowl. It's going to be, I think, probably one of the better Super Bowls played. And we're going to break that down later on the show. The X's and O's, the Jimmy's and the Joe's, who's going to win, who's going to lose, and why. So we get to, we're going to take care of all that. We're going to break down, of course, the local favorites, your Kentucky Wildcats, your University of Louisville Fighting Cardinals. I'm my local favorite. Man, Rashawn came in just. Whoa, that's I mean, even, even after Kentucky had a great road win. A, oh, he's hated. A, M- uh, must win. Must a win. Must game. win. Must a, win game. A great, but, but it's a great road win for a team Definitely. that does not play well on the road. They took a couple of punches from Missouri, came back, and won. Uh, Randall once again got posterized. But just like against uh, when Russ Smith post-rising, they still managed to pull it out. Yeah, I tell you what, they uh, had only won one of their last nine road games heading into that game in Columbia. Uh, so they, they needed to come out there, especially after dropping the game on Tuesday when they just got dog-walked by LSU. Mm. Uh, Kentucky really needed to come out with a complete performance. They did that. They got the win, huge win. I mean, it was... You know, I know some people said that they didn't really feel that they needed to win that game. Coach Calipari said that he didn't think they needed to win that game or they had a resume that was good enough to stand on its own. I totally disagree. I think that that game was monstrous for Kentucky's chances it was because because Kentucky hadn't had a good road win. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and I, only uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, uh-huh. the big victory of the season was uh, beating uh, the University of Louisville. Yeah, and Louisville's been, uh, you know, floundering of late, and that was at home. I mean, Kentucky had not had a signature road victory. And, and you know, Missouri is not the greatest team in the world, but they're not bad. I mean, you know, they're, what, 4-3 and three in conference uh, right now. Uh, they're a team that had only lost uh, twice under Frank Haith at home uh, since he took over at Mizzou. So, I mean, you know, it's a strong win. Uh, it, it's a bubble team. Uh, it's a team that, you know, Kentucky's good type of team that Kentucky would face in the NCAA tournament. So you need to play well against those types of teams. So the, it was it was a must win. Uh, they circled the wagons. I saw a sense of urgency from Kentucky that I have not seen. Uh, the effort has not been there for 40 minutes. They will come out and play a good 20 minutes, a good 25 minutes, a good, you know, 30 minutes. But they never put together 40 minutes of effort. And while they still have a lot of deficiencies and issues, things they need to get better, they at least tried hard. Uh, can, you know, Coach Calipari went ahead and went with the five freshmen in the starting lineup. Dakari Johnson started over Willie Colley-Stein, uh, who continues to just have a difficult time with it. Uh, he really never got into a rhythm today uh, due to foul trouble. Um, but, you know, all in all, it was an ugly win. Not the best defense in the world. It was very good offense. They shot the ball extremely well. Um, and you know what? At this point, you're heading into February. You need to get the wins any way you can get them. 
And conversely, we talk about the, the greatness that is the University of Louisville. And, you know, they have yet to have a great home victory. Yeah. Well, the only good win is on the road. <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough, the only win, the only good win was against UConn. They dropped a, a, a must I'm, – I'm not going to say a must-win game against, against Cincinnati Thursday, but a game that they really, needed. really needed. I mean, because, I mean – at, at this point in the season, both U of L and UK are trending the same way, and it's not a very good trend. Yeah, it's not a very good trend. These guys right now are possibly looking at anywhere between six to eight seed, possibly. Um, you know, U of L has a great record, but that's a great record against mediocre competition. Yeah, uh, they they're zero and four against top twenty-five opponents. Yeah. Which is doesn't bode well for anybody's resume. Well, I, I mean, I tell you what, and, and the thing I, I always hear about that 0-4 versus top 25 opponents, what I don't really know what that really means because a lot of times you'll have teams that were either unranked when you play them that end up ranked or end up very high in the RPI, and conversely, you have teams that were ranked at the time you played them and then they fall off a cliff. So you know that whole record versus top 25 teams, that win at UConn was a good win. UConn is a Sweet 16 type of team. So, you know, that was a good was win. V- excellent win. So, you know, even though UConn, at the time that that game was played, they didn't have a number next to their name, that was a very big win. That was a huge win. But it was also a win when Tony Rozier was a starting point guard playing over 30 minutes. And that's something that we're going to have to get to at some point. But Louisville definitely needed a good win, or at least it was an opportunity to kind of build on that resume, get that quote-unquote top 25 wins. Well, Cincinnati would have been a great win because Cincinnati right now is the king of the AAC. They I mean, it was pretty they much. UConn on the road. They yep. beat Memphis on the road. Mm-hmm. And now they beat Louisville on the road. I mean, that's a – man, they are the top team. They are the only undefeated team in conference. Louisville is number two in the conference today after Memphis went down at SMU, another difficult game that Louisville's got to play. Uh, further down the road. Uh, after Memphis lost that game today, Louisville sits uh, alone in second place. Every other team in the conference has at least four losses. Um, so, yeah, it was an opportunity for Louisville to pull into a first-place tie with Cincinnati. Uh, they didn't get that done. Um, so they still have a little bit of a cushion over the rest of the teams in the AAC, uh, but you would like to see them uh, have a strong performance here at home. Um, versus UCF, but uh, I don't think they're, they're, they're 20 points favorites over UCF. Hey, you know what? I, 20, actually, 20.9 to be exact. I totally agree with you, but these are the games where you need to have good, strong performances. And that's been the one thing about Louisville is that you can talk about Louisville and their record, but I've seen a lot of top 25 teams, a lot of top 10 teams that aren't beating teams that Wichita are unranked State. the way Louisville is. Wichita State? Wichita State was struggling today. They struggled on Wednesday versus Loyola Chicago. They came back and got the win. But, you know, I, there is a lot of a lot of these teams, Can Michigan I? State included, that are struggling with unranked teams. Louisville's can't the, the bad teams. It's just the good teams. The really good teams, they can't close it down. I mean, that Memphis game and that Cincinnati game, Louisville had both of those games won in the last I still how come Rick Pitino's All-Americans don't maximize? They pan out. Look at the Calipari's, Dukes, the Kansas, them All-Americans. They pan out. But look at the All-Americans. They don't pan out. Blackshear, McDonald's All-Americans, was rated number two player in the, in the country out of high school. No, I, will, I will say this in Blackshear's defense. 
One, he has had two shoulder, uh, shoulder surgeries. Hey, then. And, no, no, that's number one. And number two, Blackshear does show up. Now, he doesn't show up against good competition, but he does show up against the bad competition. Well, I, you know what? And that kind of gets overblown. Wayne Blackshear had a great game in the national championship uh, game. He's played very well. Uh, 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 I mean, he played well versus Kentucky in the Final Four in 2011. I mean, he's had good games in big games. Okay, we understand Wayne has not played well, but you have to understand the dynamics of this team. Uh, the dynamics of this team have changed. Peyton Seaver's not there to feed Wayne the ball where Wayne can do something with it. He's depending on Chris Jones. He's depending on Russ Smith to get him the ball where he can do something with it. Well, Sean, I'll answer my question. I'll well, answer the question that I asked. How come the Americans don't pan out? Well, I, I mean. <laughs> He's like a basketball. 
Like he's in the corner and he's waiting to get the ball. Move without the ball. Right. You know, uh, go in and get a rebound and tip the ball back in. You're six five guy. So what I'm trying to say, a lot of times when I played ball and I played with Herbert Cook and Felton Spencer, I knew I was five nine. So I had to steal the ball. I had to do something. I had to create my own offense. Right. Sometimes, and, and I'm just wondering with these guys, I don't see. The hunger that outside of Russ Smith and some of the other guys, it's like they're standing around. Last year's team, it was like they were more hungry. And we did have the big man in the middle and all that. But, I mean, I, I don't think they're as hungry as last year. <laughs> And, and you know what, and, and that's a very good take, Chris. And I think the biggest thing you have to understand about Coach Patino's system, he runs what's considered to be a NBA flex offense, okay? He, he basically has a facilitator or two out there on the court, and it's their job to attack the defense, and depending on how the defense plays them, get the ball to the proper spots. Now, what's happening, and we've seen over and over, is that Russ Smith, and Chris Jones, as well as Luke Hancock, have been pretty much the three primary distributors uh, in the offense this year. But the problem is Hancock, he does as good as he can. He doesn't have the foot quickness or the explosion to really beat his man off the dribble to get guys open. And the other two guys that actually have that ability, Chris Jones and Russ Smith, they don't have the awareness to find guys where, you know, they're, they're pretty much interested in getting their own shots, so they're not consistently passing the ball. That's why I think Louisville has found a bit more success with Terry Rozier on the court because he is looking pass first when he attacks with the dribble, spacing the court, finding the open guys. I think the, the biggest thing he's going to do is if Coach Patino is going to ride with Chris Jones and Russ Smith in the game as they he's done lose. in the big games, those guys are going to have to find open people or Louisville will lose, like Haven said. They, they, they will lose because Chris Jones is Chris Jones and Russ Smith are the same dude. Yes. Right. And you can't have two of the same guys, two potent scorers playing, you know, when we need one guy to be a point guard. I mean, because when you look at it, when, when, when Montrezl Harrell had his big explosion in that game, it wasn't Chris Jones, it wasn't Russ Smith passing him the ball, it was Luke Hancock. And that yeah, can't happen. Right. I mean, so, you know. I agree with you totally, but the other part about that is Russ's decision-making. I was at the couch. You know, I'm a couch coach. Yes, sir. And I was sitting on the couch and, uh, and coaching at home all by myself. And when Russ shot that second shot, I understand feeling it, but you're not <laughs> like Michigan's guards last year. When you shot the second three-pointer, you have 10 seconds left on the clock. We're up by three. So it's like you got to have a temperament. You, you have to be able as a guard to say, okay, we're up three. Let me get my big man involved. And it's like, you know, we all know that he's ridiculous and he does some crazy stuff. But to me, that was the turning point. Hey, Chris, let me tell you something. Russ Smith is too old for that. He's a senior guard. Okay, he's a guy that this team is looking for to make intelligent plays. I was talking to Dickie Simpkins, former Chicago Bull. He's a scout for the Chicago Bulls. I was sitting up there uh, with the scouts at the game. And when Russ Smith comes down with 27 seconds on the shot clock and jacks up a 35-footer after hitting that lucky shot the time before that, at, that went in, that gave Louisville the lead, he's too old for that. You have 20 seconds on the shot clock. You have an opportunity to extend it to a two-possession game. And, and he's too old for that. I mean, that's because our pressure and our press was really harming. They were tired, right. and we, we had them in a the position, but you put them back in the game. 
by shooting a long shot and you get a long run, run out rebound. And next thing you know, they're going the other way. I totally agree. And this it's very reminiscent of the Notre Dame game last year when Peyton Siva fouled out and Russ Smith was dependent upon to make decisions. His decision-making in that Notre Dame game was awful. And, and I think that's going to be something that if Russ is not going to do it for himself, me personally, from what I've seen, Russ Smith has not played well when those NBA scouts have been in the building. It seems to me like he's trying too hard right. to do too much. And, and until Russ either – changes what he's doing, or Coach Patino, you know, has the guts to take the ball out of his hands, give it to Terry Rozier. I, I really and truly believe yeah, that's the key. I mean, Russ, I would have took Jones out, put Rozier at the guard, because I know Rozier is not, he's still young, so he's going to do fundamental things. He's not going to jack up a shot like that. Right. So at least he's going to run your offense, and then I think Russ is better when he's spot up. I totally agree. Well, you know, when he when a guard can get it to him, there's Russ in the corner. And it's a better shot, and you got a better chance of getting the rebound. But when he's just jacking up the shot, he's going off of uh, – He's going off of his feelings. I'm gonna jack this shot up and make the crowd go crazy. <laughs> hey, you know what? You was turning point, and, and, and I was thinking about going down on campus and looking for us. Right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I tell you what, Chris, your coach, uh, uh, couch coaching is spectacular because I totally exactly. agree with you at, with everything that you said. I said the exact same thing water. at the game. It was absolutely ridiculous. Thank you, Mr. Fuller. I appreciate the call, Chris. Right, Thanks for calling. You, you know, sometimes I think Russ Smith thinks he's Kimba Walker. He's killing me. Which he's not. He's kill- his decision-making is awful. I, I, I really and truly believe, and this is why I don't think Russ Smith needs to be playing 35 minutes a game. And I definitely don't think he needs to have the ball. Because to me, I think Russ is a guy, the more he has the ball in his hands, I think it exposes him because of his uh, poor decision-making. I think 28, 29, 30 minutes for Russ Smith and put the ball in Rozier's hands, I think that's the key. So I would say is if you're going to play him that many minutes, you have to leave Rozier in the game because you need the balance of the force. I agree. That's what Peyton Steve was last year. You can't have two bad players in the game. You can't have Chris and Russ in there together. And you know what? Anybody who wants to jump in on this conversation, give us a call, 776-1350 on the Pier Group Hotline. Well, we need some water. All three of us get some water. Let's have a commercial break. Let's come back. We'll talk some more UofL, UK. We'll talk a little, uh, maybe some football recruiting, and we're going to break down what should be the best Super Bowl in a while. We come back and talk about your Seahawks, your Denver Broncos. Go Hawks, baby. Go Hawks. And we're also going to talk about Jay Hazard's super, tremendously large of the year. badge. We got some, uh, some more celebrity sightings. I talked to Jackie McCluskey the other day. He's excited. Everybody's excited. I, I, I named up one guy from Cincinnati Reds going to be there, but we got more. And we'll let you know about this and much, much more when we come back on your Main Event Sports Show. Kevin Willis of Toyota of Louisville, 6514 Dixie Highway, is proud to present Louisville Legends. Call Kevin at 480-8888. From Hodgensville, Georgia, a young man came to the UofL campus with the dedication and inner strength to be the very best. Derek Smith was truly committed. Derek was known by his teammates as the facilitator. He made things happen. While at UofL, Derek Smith made quite an impact. Metro Conference Player of the Year in 1981, three-time All-Metro Conference Player 1980 through 1982. 
Starting forward on the 1980 National Championship team, compiled 1,826 points while at UofL, which ranks him sixth on the all-time scoring list. While at UofL, Derek Smith was credited while creating and popularizing the High Five, a congratulatory gesture still used today. After Derek's tenure at UofL, he spent nine seasons in the NBA and ranked the number one guard in 1984 and 85. When he averaged 22 points per game, Derek suffered a career-ending knee injury in 1991, but went on to be an assistant coach for the Washington Bullets. To the dismay of all Cardinal fans, Derek lost his life on a Norwegian cruise line in 1994 of a massive heart attack. Although gone, Derek Smith left a legacy. His son, Nolan, who followed in his footsteps and also played on the 2010 Duke National Championship team, Derek Smith, a true Louisville legend. Louisville legend. Legends. Number one sports show, Rashawn Harris and Haven Harrington. And welcome back to Maven Sports Show. I want all our listeners to know on March the 8th, it's going down, the Holiday Inn on Hurstbourne Lane and the Churchill Ballroom. It's going to be Jay Haz's super celebrity birthday bash throwdown. And any other, any other superlative word I could stick in front of that. It, it's going to happen March the 8th. Right. Keep listening to the Main Event Sports Show because one, we want to give away tickets. Two, we want to let you know all the celebrities and former athletes are going to be there. Right now, the only person I can confirm, at least Jerry let me confirm on the air right now, is Jackie McCluskey of the Reds. Will be in the house. Oh, we have a legend MC is going to be hosting. We're not going to get that and out. And a legendary MC is going to be hosting. Two DJs. Two DJs. Two. Oh, words are still not. And these DJs are real DJs. I'm not talking about guys going to come up there, plug an iPhone in the speaker, <laughs> hit a playlist, and walk away. No, these mm. are real DJs with turntables. Oh, wow. So they're going to be scratching with the iPhone. With crossfaders. Yeah, that's right. Come on down and show your love that Jay has some of the birthday real bash. Kevin Hawkins, let's get to let's talk about uh, University of Louisville recruiting for their football. It doesn't really look good. They rank number fifty-eight. Uh, well, you know what? I'm gonna say this: uh, they, uh, they had another wide receiver uh, decommit. I do believe yesterday to South Carolina. Wow. Uh, T.J. Yes, uh, T.J. Harrell, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. T.J. T.J. Foster, excuse T.J. me. T.J. Foster, yeah. yeah T.J. Harrell's a four-star guy that's gonna go to Michigan State apparently. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they had the number one uh, JUCO defensive tackle interested, but it looks like he's pretty much a lock to go to Arizona State. As soon as Arizona Why would anybody want to go to Arizona State? But that, that's a lot. But so right now it looks like, you well, know what, this is exactly what we thought was going to happen when Bobby took over because a lot of the guys that, that, we, that committed to the University of Louisville committed because of Coach Strong, Vance Bedford, and those guys and their personalities. And and that's why they committed. Now that those guys have moved on and now are <coughs> at Texas, a lot of classes are starting to bail. 
Well, and let's not say let's not say a whole lot of the class. If it was a whole lot of the class, it'd be like Vanderbilt, who well, has like five commits. Well, I, I, I would say this. <laughs> when Franklin this. left, I would say this. Is that a whole lot of the class? But just the the the, the it's all a the lot of the prospects. A lot, a lot of the the guy, the high, most highly rated guys have all um, gone. I mean, literally all of the highly rated guys have gone. Ha- have decided to, to possibly go elsewhere. Now Isaiah Ford is still in play. Isaiah Ford, uh, uh, he, he's still he's still on the fence. Uh, Georgia. Rushing is still uh, out there as well. The talented wide receiver out of Florida, who I really like, he rem- he reminds me so much of Michael Lee Harris. Just, just uh, it, it, folks that don't know, Michael Lee Harris was considered the top prospect in the state of Florida as a wide receiver coming out of high school, uh, out out of Miami Northwestern. He was one class ahead of Teddy Bridgewater and those guys, um, but he was a, a spectacular prospect and was on his way to a very, very impactful freshman year when he got hurt in fall camp. Uh, and George Rushing is cut in that same mold about 6'1", about 180, you know, 185 pounds, runs spectacular routes, great hands. He would be perfect for Coach Petrino's system. And Coach Petrino has really kind of put the full-court press on Rushing, unlike T.J. Foster, who said he never actually talked to Coach Petrino yeah, after yeah. <laughs> well, you know, with, after he took over the know, like with, with this class, to me, the most important thing, that, with this class, the things that, that Louisville needed the most were wide receivers because almost your entire wide receiver core graduates next year. So you really needed wide receivers, and you really needed defensive tackles, of which right now they have, I think they have one wide receiver left on the commitment list. Um, they have Cameron Polk, who's already on campus. Uh, they have, um, I want to say, one other young man that's an athlete out of South Carolina who could play either way. Yeah. Um, so they have, a, they have a couple, but 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 they are a little – they're lacking. But they are lacking, but they have a lot of guys. It seems like Coach Petrino has found some maybe, I guess, lesser-rated prospects or some unknown kids yeah, that, that he has. Which is something you never want to hear going into the ACC. Well, I mean, but this is Coach yeah, Petrino. Coach yeah, Petrino can turn, you know, Joe Schmo into the greatest. I mean, let's not forget Joe Adams. Okay, he was a nobody at Arkansas. And in his first year with Coach Petrino, he led the SEC in receiving yards and, and touchdowns. I see, and, 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 and that's the thing. That's what he does. I think that's the thing that gives Cardinal fans still hope, even though this recruiting class fell apart, because you know with the style of offense and how Pacino runs his offense, they're going to score points. But to me, I think the biggest addition is going to be who they fill up with that extra coaching spot. Yeah, That's either going to make or break Pacino's career here at the University of Louisville. Now, I'm hearing rumors he's going after a former head coach who is known to be a, uh, a great recruiter. Is that Randy Shannon? <laughs> no. Randy Shannon said oh, no. Darn. Well, Randy Shannon, from what I understood, he, he said no and, and Big Hurt home. did not get along. So yeah. that's why I didn't know if – because, you know, he was up for the job in Washington State uh, with the Huskies mm-hmm. and ended up not getting that job. So I don't know where Shannon's at right now. So I didn't know if well, maybe that door was back open. You know, if Todd Grantham wasn't the defensive coordinator – I could see Randy Shannon coming back as our de- as, as a defensive coordinator. I don't think he's coming back as a linebackers coach, though. No, he's not. The name I'm hearing, mm-hmm. and this is just rumor, it's just any window, I'm just kind of putting it out there, I just hasn't been double verified and confirmed or nothing like that. I hear they could be going after Ron Zook, the uh, former... Haven't heard to News live here at the main event sports show just said that Love was going after former Illinois head man, former Florida head coach, Ron Zook. 
who's a horrible head coach. But he is a heck of a recruiter. Yes, which is the only reason he'll be on staff because he can recruit like nobody else. Yes, he can. He's, he he's a very Florida good. like nobody else. I mean, he got recruits to Illinois. And whoever wants to go to Illinois. He got a lot of recruits. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, but they have ties to Zook. You know, that's where Jeff Brom coached. Mm-hmm. That's where his brother Paul Petrino was offensive coordinator for Ron Zook, Illinois. So they have that. I mean, he was there, you know. They didn't win very many games, Illinois. But, man, he brought in a whole lot of talent. Like Juice Williams, the quarterback. Yep. I mean, he, they brought, he brought in, in some talent. He had a couple of defensive ends, bookends, that both were, were top three-round picks. Uh, one guy going in the first round, the other guy going in the third round. Their names escape me. But, yeah, he can get the players. That, that would be a, if, if that happens, that would be okay. I would do a backflip. You know, if, if they could bring in Ron Zook, that would make whiffing on this. Because pretty much Silva is going about to whip on this recruiting class. Well, and, and look, 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 look. No, I'm, I'm being I mean, honest. the whole thing I'm with the recruiting honest. class, really and truthfully, with recruit rankings, okay, lo- most of that stuff is subjective because outside of the top 25 super athletes, nobody really knows how good these guys are going to turn out because it has more to do, A, with what position they're playing, and I will say what system they're playing if in. If you look at the past collegiate national champions, mm-hmm. And the teams that play in the national championship, you'd be hard pressed to find any of the Alabamas, the Ohio States, FSU, Auburn, whoever, whoever, whoever you can name in the past ten years play a national championship. Their roster was mostly four-star athletes. But Mo- mostly the thing, four, but the issue with that is, three-star I totally agree with you. But the issue with that is, a lot of kids get rated where they rated because of what school they attended, and that's. Part of the issue is that Notre Dame, I've always used this example, before Florida State, you know, made this run the last couple of years, both Notre Dame and Florida State every year had a top ten recruiting class, and their play on the field did not come close to the rankings of the kids that they were getting. Notre Dame continually and perennially underachieves with the quote-unquote guys rated where they were committing to the Notre Dame. So, I mean, I don't put a lot into that just for the simple fact that so many kids get rated somewhere just because of what school they attend. And really and truthfully, you could not rate all the kids. I mean, college basketball recruiting is a little bit different all play because they all play each other. They're all on one set, but you have thousands of football recruits from one coast to the other, and all these guys don't match up and play against each other. And uh, you know, on top of that, a lot of guys end up moving positions. You have some guys that are quarterbacks back in high school, like a J.R. Russell, um, you know, and some of these other guys, Marcus Smith. Ma- Marcus Smith, and then they end up in another position, and they become great players. I mean, so it's, it, you know, that whole recruiting but, ranking but thing but just no, doesn't We're about me. to see. We are about to see. Yeah. Huh? And uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see. Well, I'm not excited, really but... Bob is going to ball. Well, I was There's no doubt about well, that. The thing is, like, he has a whole lot of leftover talent, so he will... And, 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 and that was, that's what I was going to say. The other thing is, Louisville was not going to use a lot of these kids. I mean, outside of Puna Ford, the defensive tackles, uh, uh, Chris Nelson and Puna Ford, I think they would have played early. I think Isaiah Ford is a young man that had the type of talent that was going to probably play early with Damian Copeland leaving uh, to go to the NFL. Those three guys uh, were kids that I could probably see playing this year. Other than that, the rest of these kids were going to redshirt. I mean, this but is really but truly but about the guys that were redshirting this year. But you need those guys to redshirt because next year, Louisville loses 22 seniors. Yeah. Yeah. So you needed those guys to register, especially wide receivers to register, because they're going to be called upon next year. And they still have some guys. I mean, you still have Richard, you still have Richard Benjamin, uh, who is an excellent prospect coming out of Florida. You have some other guys um, that were redshirting as well. They have the 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 
cabinet, uh, the cabinet, the coffers, they are not there. I mean, you yeah, know, Donald Trump left a ton of okay. talent. I'm I mean, these, these they're kids, they're, they're not there, but you still like to. You need yeah, to continue the momentum, but, but I think you will. I, I think that with Coach Petrino and staff, if they come in here and have the type of season in the ACC I think they can have, nine, ten wins, if they do that, the recruiting will I take care Sagrin, of themselves. If, if, if everybody looks at his Sagrin polls, anything of that nature, yes. and, and looks at how he does his math and all that stuff, if you take Louisville's squad now against their opponents, Louisville's predicted to be 10-2. and two. Yep with the only two losses being the Florida State and Clemson. I can see that. And, and you know what? And, and I'm not going to and that, and concede that Clemson lost just because they are losing so much on offense. Oh, they are. They're I losing mean, losing Sammy Watkins, losing uh, Taj Boyd, Taj Boyd uh, and so many guys off that offense. You know, I, I'm not really ready con- to concede anything. Louisville has the talent. The biggest question is going to be Will Gardner. <laughs> is if Will Gardner can come in. Will Gardner's not going to be a question. I mean, if, if he comes in and is solid, Will Gardner will not be a question. Louisville may win 11 no. games. Will Gardner is not going to be a question only because you name me one time Bob Petrino has not made a quarterback look like Joe Montana. Uh, last, year, last year I went to Kentucky because uh, McDonald or McDoyle or whatever that guy's Doyle. name, Doyle was horrible. <laughs> he had a spaghetti arm. But he had, he had a spaghetti arm. But the game plan they had against Kentucky, some of these other teams, it wasn't for a bunch of drop passes. This is true. Really I mean, and, and they still scored a ton of points. Yeah. And, and that's as bad as Doyle as Doyle's well, arm was. Arkansas, he inherited an Arkansas team that was a bottom feeder. They were the worst team in the SEC when and, he took over. And they made those guys look like doing like seven games yeah. in the SEC West <laughs> his first year. So I mean, that, that or, or I'm not worried about. We it. took Stephen Lafleur, the guy who. Yeah. Had no offense. And he was the most efficient quarterback in the country for two years. Yes. So on offense, nobody's worried. I think defense, people have, uh, you know, kind of kind of worried a little bit on defense. Yeah. Only because moving to a, uh, they're moving to a 3-4, which is a, a, a new scheme, a different scheme. But they played a, they played a lot the of 3-3-5. Three, three, they played a lot of 3-3-5, three, three, a lot of 3-4 this year anyway. So it's going to be completely new, which is, uh, you know, a, a good thing. So, so you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. No, I, I agree with you, and I think that there's going to be no doubt. There's going to be a lot of success. Louisville has a ton of weapons. I mean, Devontae Parker may go over the 2,000-yard mark. Now, Devontae Parker is going to love <laughs> – he's going to love being Bob Petrino's system because yep. he's actually going to – He's going to break every receiving record this year. I, I'm going to go ahead and put that down. No, you know, he, he will. He will. And I think a lot of – I think I think we'll see a lot of improvement out of James Quick yep. as well on the Bobby system. And I agree. And, 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 and you guys want to get guys in space. Guys like Corbin Lamb. Are gonna are gonna improve greatly. Michael Dyer is a guy that Coach Petrino said that he's been salivating. He recruited him very heavily at Arkansas. He's a guy that's wanted to get his hands on that speed, that uh, acceleration. So let's not forget about Michael Dyer. I understand that he did not do much in Coach Strong's power eye system, but with Coach Petrino, he is going to be the master of getting him in space. Wow, Dominic Brown, North and South, playing that Michael Bush role. And you still got my man from Florida. Yeah, you still got Brandon Radcliffe. Brandon I mean, Radcliffe, who's who's a who's a perfect, and Furby. Oh, it's it just was, now Furby's the one unranked guy from West Kentucky. I'm excited about getting because that kid. Well, he's he's still waiting on a scholarship offer officially, um, well, but I expect that the well, probably the thing come is whipped on both the running backs for this year because Marlon Marlon Mack decided yeah. that he was going uh, to come to the pressure and stay with USF because his family went to USF. His coach. Uh, played at USF, and apparently there was a lot of local ties. And there. they stopped uh, 
that recruit another guy altogether. Uh, he turned down Louisville and Michigan to play for USF. You know what? That's terrible. No, it's not terrible. Willie Taggart. I don't care what you say about Willie Taggart. He's selling the dream, man. Willie Taggart can recruit. <laughs> he can recruit. But we all knew Willie Taggart could recruit. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we all knew he was a good recruit. But you know what? We have a very special young man on the line. Uh, if, you are, you, if you're a big baseball fan, you will recognize our next caller. Mr. Jackie McCluskey of your Cincinnati Reds. Jackie, what's going on? Man, Jackie, anytime I get to talk to you or bump into you, it's a good day. Hey, <laughs> we killed ourselves out there last night. I appreciate it. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Actually, you know, Jackie and I, uh, we actually showed up at the, at the same place yesterday. The Kentucky Extremes uh, final scrimmage of a training camp was last night at Broadbent Arena. Me and Jackie there watching my Kentucky Extreme, uh, you know, trying to uh, – have a nice scrimmage to see uh, who's going to make the 26-man roster. I'm excited. You guys out there, man, they were working hard. Yes, yes, you got to meet Jackie's approval. So, Jackie, man, uh, this is a quick question, man. What have you been up to since the last time that we all got to hang out together at, at the main event sports show? <laughs> well, man, I'm doing schooling now. I'm actually doing a career in computer IT, and uh, I still do a lot of stuff in the community with kids, things like that. Uh, but, you know, this weekend, or, you know, actually not this weekend, but I, I kind of came across some information about my buddy Joe Harris is actually there. Oh. Uh, I, think he, I think he's supposed to be having a uh, celebrity bash going on. Uh, it's the Joe Harris birthday bash. Uh, I think it's March 8th. And uh, hey, I'd love to, love to have everybody come on out there and check it out. It'll be an enjoyable time. You know what, Jackie? Anytime you're there, it's always going to be enjoyable. Let me say of all, of, all, of all the former athletes I know, especially professional athletes, Jack is the most approachable guy ever. You walk up to him, talk to him, hang out with him. He'll tell you all sorts of stories. And he's absolutely hilarious, by the way. He is. He's very good people. Man. Thank you for having uh, Jack. Jack, as, as you played with the Cincinnati Reds, real quick, what, what was your batting average? I was near about 300. It was about 295. Wow. How many home runs did you hit? Wow, wow. So you so you retired now from Cincinnati Reds. Now you you're in schooling now and you still do some stuff with the uh, Cincinnati Reds as well too with their administration as well too, correct? Exactly. I still I still uh, watch guys in the area, uh, inform the you know, the, the farm team and things like that with those products that are coming out of here. So um if you, if you know any kids out there that are really doing what they got to, let me know. Well, we sure will, man. We think we'll see you March the 8th, man, with your celebrity baseball friends. Going to come and hang out with me, man. I really appreciate you, you calling in, man. I really appreciate you, man. So real quick, who are you taking tomorrow night for uh, Super Bowl? Well, they always say defense wins championships, so I think I might have to go with the, the Seattle Seahawks on that one. There you go, Jackie. That's what I'm talking about. I disagree with you on that, Jack. <laughs> but I appreciate you, man. Well, man, I'll see you on March the 8th, man. Thank you, Mr. Jack. You guys have a great day. All right. Yeah. Disagree with him, man. I take Denver. I said at the beginning of the season, Denver goes to win the whole Super Bowl. Well, and you know what? That's an excellent segue. Uh, you know, we got about 15 minutes left in the show, so uh, it's time for your NFL, AFL, or AF, NFC, AFC championship game, as it used to be called, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Haven. Super Bowl. I know.
know this is very exciting. This oh, is the last right. football of the year. Oh, you no, it's not. It's great cry. It's not last football. Yeah, your last at outdoor football of yes, the year. Yes, it's okay. my last yeah. outdoor football of the year. <laughs> but you know what? Let's go ahead and break down the Super Bowl. When we come back from this commercial break, and you can listen to us after the break on your main event sports show. Kevin Willis of Toyota of Louisville, 6514 Dixie Highway, is proud to present Louisville legends. Call Kevin at 480 Pound for pound, inch for inch, the greatest brother combo to play collegiate basketball, and they wore the cardinal red and black. The brothers McRae came to UofL as decorated high school stars from Mount Vernon, New York in 1978. In 1978, Scooter was declared the number one high school player in the nation by most scouting and ranking services. Scooter's freshman year, 1979, he started in the center position and was known for his incredible passing skills. During Scooter's sophomore season, 1980, against the University of Tennessee, Scooter went down with a serious knee injury. In came little brother Rodney to replace Scooter at center, and the rest is legendary. With the moral support of his big brother Scooter, Rodney played fantastic and with a stellar cast of players, including the legendary Daryl Griffin, who went on to win the University of Louisville's first NCAA championship title. Scooter continued his career at Yovell and left as the number 11 all-time assist leader with 349. Scooter was a second-round NBA draft pick by the Seattle Supersonics. After his NBA career, Scooter came back to the Yovell campus as the assistant basketball coach under his mentor, Denny Crum. Scooter now resides in Louisville as a business entrepreneur. Little brother Rodney also had a phenomenal career at Yovell, being a starter on three Final Four teams, 1980, 1982, and 1983. Rodney played 10 seasons in the NBA, his last as a member of the world champion Chicago Bulls in 1992 and 93. Rodney was honored as a member of the NBA's all-defensive team in 1988. Pound for pound, inch for inch, the greatest brother combo to play collegiate basketball. The Brothers McRae, true global legends. Global legends. legends. The sport, the greatest game in sports, Super Bowl, is not meant to be played in cold weather. 
it's not. That, that, that's just the bottom line. I, mean, I think it was the silliest, most ridiculous decision ever to play it in the New York, New Jersey area the first weekend in February. That's just silly. Well, no, plus, no, plus, no, you have to understand, the Super Bowl is like a very, it's very corporate now. It is. You know, most of the seats don't go to fans. Most right. of the seats go to large corporations that donate X a million dollars to body seats and advertising and things of that nature. That's who pretty much dominates the Super Bowl. So that's why... You, I understand kind of what he did in New York because it is the largest. It was part of the deal. It was part of the deal to get the uh, Giants uh, a new stadium. Uh, was to uh, the Giants and Jets to get that get that new stadium was that they were going to host the Super Bowl. So it was written up in the contract. But the same, same thing for Indianapolis when they got the new, when they got their new uh, the new stadium. Yes. You know they had a Super Bowl there, and whoever gets new stadium, they'll bring a Super Bowl there. So the city's happy. So they didn't feel like they wasted their money because. One thing is super. It's a smart idea. idea. It is definitely a smart idea. It's a great idea because that's going to bring in. I mean, if you think the Derby is big, and the Derby's huge, it's not Super Bowl huge. Definitely not. I'm not even close. I mean, a lot of media shows, a lot of celebrities show up, but the Super Bowl puts it on a whole different. uh, This is like a billion dollar shot in the arm for whatever city can host the Super Bowl. So I I understand why they did it, but I just had to say, I just had to take a pass. Am my Cowboys going against the Raiders? No, nope. maybe a road trip. Definitely a road trip. We, we, we would go across country like National Lampoons, and we would stop at every stupid, corny place <laughs> across the country as we head to the Super Bowl, and we'll, like, track it. The main event road trip. There we go. But like that. Now, this is a great matchup, a, a great match with your Seahawks going against your Denver Broncos offense, the number one offense going against the number one defense. Uh, I've I've read several people breaking this down from Peter King to Mike Gammon, uh, you know, you name it, uh, Deion Sanders, Herschel Walker, Barry Sanders, Emmitt Smith, Jerry Rice. I heard everybody break it down. And most people tend to lean towards Denver because they don't think there's any way in the world you can stop Peyton Manning and his bevy of wide receivers. Now, you may be able to slow down one receiver. You may be able to slow down two receivers. You may even be able to slow down one receiver, two receivers, and their tight end. But you can't stop. But if they go five wide, there's no way in the world you're going to stop all of them. Decker, you know, Wes Welker. You know, it's just the names go on and on and on. As far as talent's concerned. Demarius Thomas, who I love. Yeah, Demarius Thomas. You know, there's no way that you can you know, corral all these guys. And once you spend so much time trying to play your nickel defense or whatever defense you decide to play to slow on a passing attack, here comes no Sean Moreno running rough shot. Or at least it's doing just good enough to make this, you know, just run up to keep it honest. You know, I was going to say, no shot doesn't really run rough shot. He runs. Well, he doesn't have to. You know, if you he have a scat back. He doesn't have to. You know, if he can just <laughs> get like three to four yards of carry, that's all he has to do. And, and, let, and let Peyton do the rest. Now, that's what... Almost everybody who's broke, who's, who's broke the game down from position to position, quarterback against quarterback, offensive line versus defensive line, and wide receiver against cornerback. And you know what? You know when I heard this argument the last time? Is when the New England Patriots brought an undefeated record into the Super Bowl with an opportunity 
to go undefeated. They had the greatest offense in history. Tom Brady had Randy Moss. He had his bevy of receivers. He had serial killers on the on, on the field with them. He had all types of guys on there. He had the most unstoppable offense in the history of unstoppable offenses. And guess what happened, Haven? Guess what happened when all them when all them free free little wide receivers and all them free free little running backs and free free quarterbacks came up against a hard hitting smash mouth defense? Guess what happened, Haven? Now they lost. They lost the game. And you know what? When I break down this game, what I see, this game reminds me. We got, I'm going to take you guys back, okay? This was 24 years ago. Yes, I'm showing my age right now. 24 years ago, Joe Montana, great quarterback, won four Super Bowls for the San Francisco 49ers. It was an NFC Championship game. This was not a Super Bowl. This was an NFC Championship game. Joe Montana went in there to play a young, brash nasty, athletic, aggressive, defensive team known as the New York Football Giants. Lance Taylor, a cast of thousands, one of the nastiest defenses in the history of the NFL. Jim Montana did not walk out of Giants Stadium that day. They had to carry him out. Now, Jim still had a little something left, a lot like Peyton Manning. He was about the same age at this time. He didn't walk out of that building. You know why? Because the Giants made a point every time they had a chance to. They hit him every time. And when I watch what happened in that NFC Championship game between the 49ers and the Seahawks, the most violent game I've probably ever seen, Peyton Manning is not walking out of that Super Bowl under his own power. Wow, man, you just came out of WWF with that point. WWF. You know that's, that's the nickname, right? The, 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 the Seattle Seahawks? They're called the Legion of Boom. I don't see, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't see Peyton making it. Uh, you know, I, I will say this uh, about uh, Manny. One, he hasn't been tackled. He hasn't been sacked that much this year. You know, he's playing behind the best offensive line. Uh, actually, the second best offensive line in the NFL with a, a positive pass protection rating of 51.6, which is uh, pretty high up there. Um, so they have a great, great offensive line playing, playing behind. To kind of give you an idea, the Seahawks were a 24th-ranked offensive line with a grade of negative 14. So this is a, a night and day difference between the offensive lines. You, you just can't get to Peyton Manning. You can't touch him up. Didn't they say the same thing about that until Justin Tuck and Matthias Kiwanuka and Michael Strahan went out there and made that offense look like, that offensive line look like a bunch of little girls out there? This is the best defense in football. What did the best defense, it wasn't even the best defense last year with the Baltimore Ravens. They probably had the fifth or sixth best defense went out there when they played a real defense. The New England Patriots. Okay, the, the Denver Broncos didn't score a lot of points versus the Patriots. They scored, what, 26 points to win that game in the AFC Championship game, I believe? Yes. They scored 26 points. They struggled against that New England defense. So you're playing against, I mean, the most physical. This is one of the most physically gifted, big defenses I've ever seen. 
they're fast, they're strong, they're nasty. They don't have to play zone coverage because the running backs are as big as the wide receivers for the other team. I mean, this game is going to physically t- – it's not going to be a high-scoring game. First of all, it's going to be very cold out. It's going to be below freezing. It's not going to be horrible. It's only going to be around 32, 33 degrees at kickoff of is what weather.com is saying. It's not going to be horribly cold, but it's going to be cold. Okay. Well, you know what? See, see the cold weather doesn't – it's not going to hinder the Denver Broncos because when they play Mile High Stadium, it's, it's always cold in Denver. Uh, yeah. You know, Seattle actually the cold weather probably. Well, Manning does have a losing record when the when the the degree mark hits a certain spot. Well, like for him, less less than. But for him, it's only hit that spot because I think it's be forty five at game time and get down to thirty three. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's, I think his losing mark is like at thirty. Thirty. It might be thirty. It might so, be. Right. It might be just above that. Yeah. So it has to get below freezing, which you won't. So uh, you know. That's that's still going to pay Manning's favor, but as far as defense is concerned, but the Legion of Boom, you know, the defensive line for the Seattle Seahawks, you know, had 31 sacks this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they only gave up an average of 3.9 yards per carry against the run. So they're good against the run. They're good at getting pressure on the quarterback with just a front four. Yeah, which means they don't have to bring a lot of pressure. Which means you can leave guys in coverage. Now, a lot of people think what's going to happen is they're going to take Sherman uh, and, and put him against the, the the number one receiver, usually for the opposing team. In this case, probably uh, Demarius. Right. Um, Chancellor, their safety, who's like all-world safety, who, who's known. I mean, if you looked at that, that game, the shot that he laid on the tight end for San Francisco. Vernon Davis. Was vicious. <laughs> yes. I mean, he separated Vernon Davis from the ball at least like three times. He almost separated Vernon Davis's head from his shoulders. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, I'm sure he will be watching the Denver's tight end ready to lower the boon. Yeah. Um, Look, when you talk about Super Bowls, you always want to ask, answer two questions. Who's got the best defense in this game? Oh, easy. Number one defense in the country is... Your Seattle Seahawks. Who's the best running back in the game? Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch. I'll take Marshawn Lynch over, Actually, over, over Marino. Like, you know, statistically speaking, like during the season, those guys are very similar, uh, you know, with the stat lines. So you kind of look at the stat but, lines. But well, when you talk about those two, those two guys. You know, like Lynch uh, ran the ball a little bit more, 301 times versus Marino's two, uh, 241 because, mm-hmm. you know, Denver's a, a pass-happy team. Right. Uh, you know, yards per carry, almost even. Uh, Moreno has 4.3 yards per carry. Mm-hmm. Um, Lynch has 4.2. Well, let me ask you this. If you're, but, if you're drafting a, a, a running back in this game, who are you taking? But, but well, let me finish. I will say this. Okay. In the playoffs, Lynch's production has stayed the same. He's still averaging 100-plus yards a game with right. TDs. Right. Where Moreno has kind of dropped. A little bit, and he hasn't had, a, I think, a 100-yard game. I think tell you, the first 100-yard game he had was actually against Denver. Mm-hmm. Oh, not against Denver. Excuse against, me, against uh, the, Patriots. the Patriots, yes. But until then, he had had a 100-yard game in the playoffs. His production actually kind of slacked a little bit, yeah. whereas Marshall Lynch has stayed exactly the same. Now, you're going against a, uh, a, a Denver defense, which is actually pretty good. Pretty good. A pretty good Denver defense. Smallish, though. Smallish. The linebackers are small. Yes. They are smallish. Uh, you will see... I believe Seattle try to power the ball. And just like you saw against San Francisco, they would not abandon the run. 
Right. They kept running and running. Even on the first half, they kind of had a bottle. It's going to be very physical, very ugly. That that's the way they like to keep it. Now, Percy Harvin will be back for Seattle. He hasn't played the playoffs. That's big. So that's going to be a big. Uh, it's a playmaker. He's, he's a playmaker. That's going to be something that you're going to see that you haven't seen the playoffs yet. Is to return to Percy Harvin and his playmaking abilities. Because right now Seattle's been winning with the Golden Tate and the cast of who's that catching the ball. Right. Uh, but, you know, yeah, Percy Harvin. Don't forget about Zach Miller, former Raider, which still upsets me greatly that he's playing for the Seahawks. I don't know why Al let him go. Still kicking the Raiders in your day. Thank you. Appreciate that. Zach Miller, great tight end. He's great tight end, but you compare tight ends to tight ends. I mean, Thomas's, the Julius Thomas's. But then again, they're playing a completely different offensive system. So you expect Julius Thomas to have a much, much better stats because he plays almost as a de facto six wide receiver. This is true. So, you know what? Man, that was a quick uh, breakdown, man. The 15 minutes uh, came and gone kind of quickly. I mean, it kind of broke the game down. We talked about the Jimmys and the Joes, X's and O's. To me, the whole game is going to come down to two things, and it's the two obvious things, offense, defense. Peyton Manning adjusting to what the Seattle Seahawks are going to do on defense. What I expect Seattle to do is they're going to take a couple of 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalties because they're going to try to lay the woodshed to – the wide receivers and uh, and the tight ends for the Broncos and give them those uh, alligator arms coming across the middle. Because that's what happened to Crabtree. Crabtree started to get those alligator arms coming across the middle because they were laying the woodshed to them. They're going to try to rough up. You're going to get about at least two or three roughing the passer uh, penalties called. They're going to try to rough up Peyton Manning. I'm still, I know I said this before, I'm going to say it again. Defense wins championships. I'm going to Seattle. I know you're going to Seattle because you ain't Peyton Manning, but go ahead and break it down. <laughs> you know what? I'm also, I, like I said, best defense, Seattle. Best running back, Seattle. Give me the Seahawks. It's going to be a physical, nasty game. I'm going to say 21-17. The Seahawks get the win. Peyton Manning, you don't get your second ring. Now, you know when they played in a, now it was a preseason yeah. game, Maybe the Seahawks played the Denver Broncos in preseason. Grants the second preseason game, so you can't you know, take too right. much off. It was a blowout, 40-7. to seven. Seattle. I'm going to pick Seattle by uh, thir- I'm going to know it. Denver is uh, supposed to win by two, according to Vegas. Give me Seattle by eight. There we go. I like you know it. what? It's time to end the main event sports show and like like to end every show without any struggle. There is no progress. Tune in next week to your main event sports show, 104.7 FM, WLOU.